Well, hi, everybody, and welcome back to the Living with Power Hope podcast. It is great to have you here. My name is Alina Abu Jamra, and I'm your host. And so if you are tuning in for the first time, welcome. Special welcome to you. If you've been here before, thanks for coming back. I hope everybody subscribed to this podcast, and I hope you've left a review. Uh, let me tell you a little bit about what we do here. I, uh, every week, talk about uh, something that pertains to the Bible. I love talking about God. We give you biblical truth for everyday life. That's our goal here. Uh, right now, we're in a series called Dear Lena. It's an open-ended series where I answer questions that you send me about faith, life, and culture, or anything in between. Frankly, if you've got a question about life, send it to me, and I'd love to answer. My email address is dearlena at livingwithpower.org. Um, if you're wondering what does it mean to live in a post-Christian world, well, you've probably noticed that most people are not that fond of biblical worldviews anymore. Uh, issues of morality and ethical moorings are deviated from what we grew up believing. And so if you are newly a Christian or maybe you're exploring what it means to be a, Christ a Christian, you're going to hear a lot of topics of conversation here on this podcast that uh, are really uh, part of what it means to walk in the Christian faith. And if you have been a Christian for some time, I hope you'll find encouragement in the podcast and knowing that you are not alone and that God has a plan and, and that we are not to be surprised that we are living in these crazy times. In fact, we are to rejoice in them. What an opportunity to shine in a dark world. So uh, let me uh, uh, go ahead and start today's question. Uh, again, if you have any questions that you want to ask me, use Dear Lena, L-I-N-A, at livingwithpower.org. Uh, somebody sent me this question for today's discussion. Dear Lena, is it possible and realistic to be pure in today's oversexed world? It was inevitable that we we're going to talk about this. Uh, by the way, this should remain PG, PG-13 maybe. But if you've got kids around and you don't want to have to deal with certain topics, you might want to save this for later. And uh, regardless, by the way, if you've got teenagers or above, you, they probably do need to be listening. And so I appreciate you um, tuning in and having an interest in this topic. It is so needed because we're living in a crazy sexed world. And if you thought you were there in the 60s, you got nothing on now. And so it is a, a very reasonable question is how is it really realistic for people to be pure? And so let me sort of before I give you every week, I give you three points. I frame my uh, thought process in three bullet points. I love bullet points and organized uh, thinking. And uh, I, I, I hope that you'll find the way that I approach topics to be helpful to you. But before we do, let me sort of review to you a little bit about this purity culture, where this question maybe stems from. Uh, in the Christian world that I grew up in uh, back, I guess in the 80s, maybe more than the 80s, 90s, as the sexual moorings of our society were becoming more um, in your face, more prominent on really even, you know, the typical, I mean, now nobody watches TV in prime time like we used to, we've got everything later, but but, but it became much more obvious that sex was part of our culture. Um, there was this movement in the evangelical world, and it was, now it's referred to as the purity culture, and it was uh, this idea that uh, um, it was a movement that promoted sexual abstinence before marriage, discouraged dating, and promoted virginity pre-marriage. Now, if you're if you're a Christian for some time and you're familiar with the Bible, you might be listening and going, "Man, that doesn't sound like a specific culture. That sounds like the Bible." Uh, indeed, you're right, and it's interesting because now in 2020, 21, the time we're living in, um, there's been a lot of critique of the movement and sort of a lot of post or ex-evangelicals who have sort of pointed at that culture and says, in fact, even one of the prominent voices of the culture, Joshua Harris, who is known to have written "I Had Kissed Dating Goodbye," a sort of a handbook of your purity culture, if I may say so, even he has 
has written um, and, and talked about, you know, of course, he's, his faith has deconstructed and he's going through his own sort of self-finding journey. But in the process, he's critiqued his own um, uh, view of this purity culture and what he advised people to do. But of course, millions of people were impacted by his book and millions of people sort of bought the rings and, and decided, you know, we're going to do this for the sake of doing, you know, this purity thing and this challenge. And, 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 and I do have some thoughts about this because what is biblical and good was sort of skewed and taken out of context. And as we can do with anything, it can become legalistic where you're doing it for a specific outcome. And so part of the problem with the purity culture is that the aim of the outcome was, um, was prosperity driven, was me driven, was sort of what can I get out of it? I'm going to get into this in a second in one of my three bullet points. So I don't want to get ahead of myself, but I did want to give you that context. And so it's interesting. Pendulums always swing. And when it comes to sort of this purity culture, you know, certainly in the, in the early 2000s, there was this big push for people to, you know, don't kiss before marriage. Basically, I went to one of those colleges that had those sort of those crazy ideas. And people used to joke about our pink sidewalks and blue sidewalks. But, but um, as, again, maybe, in a, maybe the motive, maybe the goal was, was noble, but the execution of it was not. But just because um, a movement went askew, again, doesn't mean that, that purity in of itself or holiness in of itself is to be sort of shoved under the rug and, and looked down upon. And I think there's sort of the sense now, like, you know, this purity culture has hurt so many Christians with so expectations about their life and sexuality. And, uh, and so there's a, there's a natural tendency now to shun it as if it's some bad thing. And so, um, let me kind of, okay, so the reality is we are living in a very oversexed world. You can't escape it. You cannot turn your phone on without being guided, whether it's on, you know, just regular Google or even even when you put, you know, I've, I'm single and, you know, I'm sort of care and I struggle with lust and written about that. And, and so I've, even with somebody who's trying hard to, you know, sort of guard their hearts and minds, I mean, there's no question that the way that our, our internet and our, our world right now functioning in this tablet in our hand is you're not going to escape sex in your face, right? And so so you can put these guards, but then you get on Amazon, you want to buy something. Next thing you know, you're down this thread of like, you know, whether it's books or or, or, or images and on and on and on. So you don't have to go looking for it. You know, it's it's not unusual for, you know, a seven, eight, nine, ten 10-year-old to face images that they never would have in the past because now, you know, their you know, dad or mom might forget to put the uh, the, the restrictions on their phones. Next thing you know, you know the this kid is like embroiled in in a life, you know, in a lifetime really of pornography and desiring things that are not good for them. And so um, there is a sort of victimization, I think, that happens with children that I think is is there. And I think so many people who struggle with um, with with sexual sin, I think there's so much guilt in that, so much condemnation. But there's also um, some responsibility. I think there's a verse where Jesus says, you know, the, the one who causes little kids to sin, you know, it's better, it's better that they die, or I don't exactly know the quote off the top of my head, but but something to that effect, and how true, you know, you can't help but sort of think about those settings and, and have such compassion on people who get stuck in a lifestyle of, of sexual sin at a very young age. Now, let me give you my three points as we delve into this. Is it possible and realistic to be pure? And obviously my answer is, of course, a yes. How? Here, here's number one. Purity is about your heart before it is about your actions. 
Purity is a heart issue. It is not an action issue. See, we all focus on actions. When we want to be pure, we say, okay, I'm not going to do this and I'm going to do that. And we, we get into our lists of things to do, things not to do. And we miss the heart. Uh, purity is an outflow of your heart. If your heart is good, the fruit will be good. If your heart is evil, the fruit will be evil. Now in Christ, you've been given new heart, but you're still struggling with the flesh. And so there's this tension that happens. And of course, Paul talks about it a lot in Romans chapter seven. In first Corinthians, uh, he talks about how we are no longer our own. Our body is the Holy Spirit's, but, but in Galatians five, he talks about this tension between spirit and flesh and on and on. So many of Paul's writings sort of address that. But at the end of the day, actions of purity are, are a result of a heart that is pure. And so if you're more focused on your actions and miss the heart and motives, you're going to feel this immense weight and really get to the conclusion that, man, this is not realistic for me to be pure. So you can't force your actions without a transition of your heart. Frankly, if you don't have a new heart in Christ, I don't know how, I mean, you can, you know, anybody can, can live with discipline, you know, a certain diet, a certain exercise plan, but eventually you burn out. And eventually, uh, I think with issues of sexuality, you know, the, the heart is desperately evil, is, is wicked and desperately sinful. And I think the fruit of it will eventually um, show that no matter how hard you try to fight it, unless your heart is changed, your actions will not follow. And so we get so caught up with law, again, action, that we miss the grace of God in our walk, which is this change of heart that reminds us who we are in Christ and the fact that we've been given not just a, you know, a new way of thinking, but a new heart and, and the living Christ living in us. And so when, when Paul talks about we're no longer our own, the Spirit of God abides in us, I think we, we often are amnestic to that. We forget that and we live with sort of a blindness that I'm my own person and, and how can I fight this alone? And you forget who you are in Christ. And so a lot of this purity movement has to flow out of your identity in Christ. And so um, no room for self-righteousness here or else we are doomed to fail. The more you rely on yourself and I can do this and I can achieve, you know, so many days of not looking at bad images and of not doing bad things and of not spending time with, you know, all, whatever it is that you struggle with, you cannot achieve it just by mere pull yourself up by the bootstraps and try harder. You can do it for a while, but eventually it's gonna become exhausting. So purity is first, first about your heart before it is about your actions. Number two, purity is about your view of God more than it is about your view of you. Sort of been sort of hinting about that, but it, the, your identity is who you are in Christ. It is about your view of God. Um, the bigger your view of God, the easier it is to love and obey him and trust him right? And, and the deeper view of God's love for you that you have, the easier it is for you to trust him. So I, I'll give an example. For instance, in 2 Timothy, I mean, some of the things that God asks Christians to do is sound almost ridiculous sometimes in their difficulty. And so in, in 2 Timothy, Paul is writing to, to his mentee, Timothy, and and he's sort of telling him, here's the person God uses. He says, now in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honorable use, some for dishonorable. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. So flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace. Have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. Um, in, in Galatians 5, that I say, walk by the spirit, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. And, and, and there's so many other verses one can, you know, spend time on and, and talk about sort of this, 
this demand of, I think, uh, and a great one is Romans 13, verse 14, put on the Lord Jesus Christ, make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. I mean, and so you sort of, uh, you, you read that and it can feel so difficult. And the only way for any human to trust God's plan. And by the way, this isn't just for like, it's, it, I'm talking about every sexual sin, every sexual bend that we might want in our own. So, you know, in an oversexed world, it, there's a sense that anything goes, you know, back when I was growing up, having an affair and getting a divorce was a big deal. And of course we moved into, you know, of course more talk conversation about same sex orientation and, and a lot of, you know, again, I, and you might be listening and, and maybe don't hold to the biblical worldview. So you might not see same sex attraction or, or same sex relationship relationships as a sin, but, but again, basing our conversation here as, as um, uh, foundationally, biblically based, uh, the Bible does uh, offer a moral code and a way of living that allows for sexual intercourse between one man and one woman within the context of marriage. So whether it's extramarital, fornication, adultery, same-sex attraction, or of course now more modernly, you've got the swiping and the threesomes and on and on and on. I mean, you know, there's so many ways of, of playing out this sensuality. And before you, you know, again, get into like, you know, blaming, you might be single and be like, well, I've never had any kind of affairs. I've never even been in a relationship with a guy, lest you get haughty. Cause I know that person, uh, you know, in your heart that so much of the sexual sin that happens, even in your minds, uh, even when you're alone uh, without again, spelling things out too clearly for you, but are based are driven out of a refusal to live in the uh, rest and in the peace that flows out of uh, your identity as a child of God, deeply loved, deeply belonging to the Father. And so a deep view of God's love for you makes it easier for you to trust his ways when his ways feel difficult. And so for the person who's listening, who maybe live in a celibate life, maybe you are same-sex attracted and you're committed your life to Jesus and you want to be pure. Maybe you're single and you're not same-sex attracted. You're heterosexual, and but still you have not been given the opportunity to be with someone and you just, maybe you're married and you're married to someone who doesn't want to be with you. And so you just feel this tension of how am I going to live this? Uh, or maybe you are active in marriage and you just don't enjoy it. And, and you go, man, how could this be God's plan for me? And, 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 and the deeper view of God's love that you have, the easier it is for you to trust him. The true view, the truer view of God's goodness you have, the more you will understand that he never will ask you to do something that he will not help you to do. So this concept of purity is about your view of God, not about your view of you. Earlier when I was talking about purity culture, I mean, one of the things that I was saying is um, there's a, there was this undertone in purity culture that if I do it right, I'll get great sex after I get married. So the idea was if you stayed pure and never had an evil thought and never touched anybody evilly and on and on then. And, and so the, the other side of that coin was that if you did have evil thoughts and if you did have a pattern in pornography, or if you did mess around with your you know, person you were dating, or maybe even you went all the way that you were doomed and you were never to have any opportunity to live a healthy, sexually married life. And so I think either, you know, again, there's so many wrong variations of that, but ultimately with, a, with the purity culture of the 90s and the 2000s, the problem was that the end result was about me. How can God best serve me? If I stay pure, then God will provide for me the best husband or wife that I'm looking for. And a view of God, a different perspective where life doesn't revolve around me. God is not there to serve me. I am there to serve God. 
I believe God is there to give me joy and happiness. Jesus died for my sake. And, and again, in, in that gospel story, I am given life, but also I'm given this intimate relationship with Christ who alone can give me joy and happiness. And the more I, I deepen my understanding of, of my God's love for me, the more freely I can work and, and live and the more I can glorify God in the process of living a pure life, not in terms of what I can get out of it, but in terms of how God can be glorified through it. All right. So purity about my view of God, less about my view of me. And thirdly, purity is an ongoing process and not just a one-time decision. One-time decisions are, are good and bad. They're good in making a resolve. You know, crisis leads to, leads to resolve. And one-time decisions are, are those moments at camp, those moments at conferences, at churches where you're given an invitation, you, you, you know, put your stick in the fire, you, you know, make a, you cut yourself, you put a drop of blood somewhere. I mean, I mean whatever it is, theatrics that you do, the idea is, okay, say, I'm going to change. I'm going to start doing this. You might have reached a one-time decision in your diet. Maybe you hit a tipping point in, in your weight, but we do this with decisions of sexual purity all the time. The problem with those one-time decisions is that temptation is not a one-time event. And so inevitably, you're going to live a day, a week, a month, and you're going to face temptation again. The same uh, thing, life, whatever trouble that you had that led you to want that sexual sin is going to come back. You're going to find yourself needy. You're going to find yourself lonely. You're going to find yourself want, you know, disgusted with people around you, on and on, fatigued, uh, needing sort of a, a release of some sort. And, and, and so temptation is going to follow you. So you, even though you may have made a one-time decision, that process of temptation is not a one-time process. So you can't just be like, well, I, one time when I was 13, I made a decision to be pure. And look, I'm a failure. I keep failing. Well, it's because this, this purity concept is an ongoing process. It's a, not a one-time decision. And the other problem with one-time decisions is that shame takes over. So when you fail, shame takes over, which inevitably will lead to more failure. And then the sense of, well, I'll never be able to get out of this mess. And so maybe you're listening and you've had decades of, of failure with pornography and with a sexual sin. Maybe you're a Christian and have you're married and, and struggle with same-sex attraction. I've had somebody on this podcast before, Brad Claver, who has an amazing interview of his life and how he came to terms with that and how he's, he's in a healthy marriage now. And, and may God continue to honor and bless his, his, his decisions to live according to God's word. But, but you might be that person who's struggling and you, maybe you need to go back and listen to that episode in the podcast. But listen to me, that shame that is on you. Remember Romans 8, 1, that in Christ there's no condemnation. If you confess your sins, and I know you might have done it a million times before, but still God's grace is that we're here today. If you confess your sins, he is faithful and just and will cleanse you from all unrighteousness. He'll forgive you. And so uh, lastly, the problem with one-time decisions is that it discounts the need for daily dependence. All right. This is huge. You cannot live purely outside of total dependence on the spirit of God to help you to do it. Um, and you're, you're doing it for the glory of God and you're doing it because uh, I believe Matthew in the Beatitudes, blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. If you're hungering for a fresh movement of God in your life, maybe you're wondering, man, why can't I hear God? Why can't I see God in my life? Maybe you're in a place where you need to take a, you know, take a pen and sit down and start writing down, God, here's where I'm at and here's where I need to be. So purity, it's a heart issue uh, before it is an action. Uh, secondly, it's about your view of God more than it is about a view of you. Thirdly, it is an ongoing process and not a just a one-time decision. So is it possible and realistic to be pure? Absolutely. Can you do it? Yes. Do we have resources to help you? Absolutely. My book Thrive is written for singles, but I think it would be a great resource for you. First of all, if you're single and struggle with uh, purity and, and holiness and 
and such things, you might want to get it. If you're married, I think it'll still encourage you and help you so much. And uh, if you've got kids who uh, you think might benefit from this message, get them the book. And if you want just uh, messages about this topic, you can find all that at our app at Living With Power in any app store or at livingwithpower.org. We've got a great website. Hey, on Thursday nights, I teach live. We talk about all of these things and more. I teach the Bible on Facebook in a community group that you just need to join. So go to livingwithpower.org. Top of the page, there's a blue box. Click on it. It'll take you to where you can join our Facebook community. Uh, Lastly, uh, if you have a question, for me, send it to dearlina at livingwithpower.org. I would love to give it a stab here, and I want to thank you for showing up today. It's been great to be with you. We'll see each other again next week. Until then, stay in the Word, stay in grace, and uh, have an awesome day today. Take care.